Hi, I'm George Tekmichov here with Steve the Big Cat. Not dead yet, Anderson. Not dead yet. Used up one of the lives, I think. It's, uh, yeah, big cats have nine lives, right? I hope. <laughs> Podcast well, number 75 here as we're into late September on the Eastern Target Archery Podcast. Steve, uh, you have any stories you want to tell? Uh, no. I don't want to get into the whole details, but old Steve had a an Your incident death experience? on the mountain the other day, and yeah, um, it ended up being not a big deal, but you know, almost was very bad. And I'm happy. Uh, some days you're happy to be alive still. So we'll leave. Long story short, got caught in a bad storm, pretty pretty far from my transportation, all alone. Yeah, alone, in the mountains, whatever, like eight thousand feet. Um, Got super wet. Then it temps dropped from like, I don't know, 65 to 35. As they will do at 8,000 feet. Yeah. So it started to like rain, snow mix on me, continued to get wet. Winds picked up, started getting really cold. Um, Hypothermia did not kill me. So add that to the list of things that, as far as we know, I am invincible from. And, (laughs) and uh, I made it back. So yeah, yeah. So now you're you're stronger because that which did not kill you. Uh, I'm definitely not stronger right now. Still feeling still feeling pretty pretty tired, sore from it. But uh, yeah, it didn't kill me. I will eventually become stronger, at least in the brain. Well, all joking aside, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, me too. I bought some rain gear that I needed yesterday. So okay. Well, <laughs> nothing like closing that barn door when that horse is gone. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, coming up on the podcast, we've got an interview with uh, with Tom Dealin, the Secretary General of World, Arch- World Archery, and we'll talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, it'd be good to talk with Tom. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. We'll uh, we'll talk to him about the uh, season past, what's coming up ahead, the Olympics, a bunch of stuff. So uh, stick around because that'll be coming up shortly. Yeah, I feel like uh, World Archery is really, like I'm seeing them everywhere now, you know? Their, their their reach is they've stepped it up haven't they? it's big yeah they're doing a good a good job i would say you yeah, know well, I, I still don't know if i love the format of the tournaments you know and that and whatnot as a competitor but as a spectator watching the sport i think they're they're doing a really good job and then they also got supported big time by some of their superstars this year like brady you know it helps when when you're uh when seabiscuit wins the race you know, to go right. back to horse references. Right. So. Right. I, I don't think we want to be introducing Brady as Seabiscuit <laughs> at the next tournament, though. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to be, you know. A horse. Well, maybe not Seabiscuit either. Wasn't that it? Was it even, was Seabiscuit even a real horse? I honestly mythical, don't know. I think it was a, a story. Right? Mythical Disney. Now, Secretariat. Horse. Secre- secretariat. Yeah, if you're, if you're a Secretariat, no one would deny that. Yeah. You know, everyone would love to be referenced to. A I'm pretty sure we just lost everybody not in America. No, they're they're uh, below a certain age. Maybe. Whatever. Horse racing and archery, they don't have much in common, but we just found a way to make it uh, relevant. Not yet. Not until we start gambling on archery. Uh-huh. So I used to go to the horse races in college and uh, me and some buddies and we'd gamble our 12 bucks that we had or whatever, you know, forego dinner that night but uh i like to go out to i don't know what you call it just like the little warm-up area where they they would they would trot the horses out right like this is race one this is the horses this is the lineup and so uh, you could get a look at what you were about to bet on or whatever and i would go out and 
just make completely asinine comments about each horse and why I thought it was going to win and lose. And I would say, I would hear, I would say something like, as if I had inside knowledge of the horse, right? Kind of like in Seinfeld, when Kramer hears that this horse is a mutter, meaning it's good in the mud. And then he hears another guy telling someone else, hey, this horse is good in the mud. Right. And he's, you know, this, this bad information has just been getting relayed and blah, blah, blah. So I would say stuff like that. And then pretty soon I'd say, I'd hear some, you know, dad telling his five-year-old kid about, oh, see, this horse is good because blah, blah, blah. So I think I probably, and I never won money. So I probably ruined a lot of people's bets. (laughs) Maybe we don't want to go down the road of discussing archery betting at this time. We can save that for a future discussion. (laughs) That'll be a podcast when we have nothing to podcast. Speaking of, uh, speaking of betting though, Macau will, Macau is just uh, what, about 49 days away or so as we record this, that's the first leg of the indoor world series this year. Are you uh, planning to go to any of these? Mm, no. Well, you're going to Neem. Going to Neem, yeah. So, I'll, anymore, here, here's, you know, just like, well, how do I say this? Just like they made the World Cup final outdoors, you know, if you win a, a, an event, you, you get to go. They haven't done that indoors. I'm not sure if that would be the thing to do. What I see happening with the indoors now is a guy who's centrally located, say Europe, that's where most of them take place. If you're in the Americas, there's not one in our continent until Vegas, which if you're like waiting to go to an indoor World Series in Vegas, you're not going to make the final. So what's the point? So anyhow, those guys over there have a pretty good advantage just based on locality and they can hit four of these events, right? And qualify for just based off, they don't even have to do great at any of them. Just do good at three of them, do well at one you're in, you know? And, and that doesn't even mean a podium. So for a guy over here in the US, we've got to either spend a bunch of money getting to the events or you have to do good at two of them, right? So you've got to go to Neem, that one thousand point event. So if you're not at Neem, you're not gonna make the final. right? And if you go to Neem and you get, say, say you get uh, 12th place, you know, you win your first match, lose your second, pretty easy to do at Neem, <laughs> pretty hard to make the cut. Mm-hmm. So not easy to, to, I'm not saying it's easy to make the cut and win your first match. That's hard, but it's pretty easy to only win one match and then get bounced because there's so many guys there. So no, as, as you've made mention many times before, it's one of the highest standards. Yeah, it's there the deepest is tournament. Yeah. So, so now you've got whatever for points and it's like, well, I probably needed two or three other events of the smaller 250 point events to now qualify for the final. If right. you go to Neem and you get third or better, you're probably going to make it right. But right. it's a, it's a participation thing anymore. Well, we'll 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 chat with Tom about that when uh, when we get to uh, talking to him in a little while. Yeah, indoor season prep. What are you up to? Uh, well, we've been hunting, so yeah, I haven't done a ton yet. Um, I you know we just released the new Hoyt Invicta yesterday, so really like that bow. Looking forward to the indoor season with that, and then I'm actually uh, wrapping up my new 
indoor range. So I will, uh, <laughs> I'll be moving into a new house. The Anderson Archery Center. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll be moving into a new house here in about two weeks. I Congratulations. Think. So then I'll have my own indoor range and that'll be sweet. And I'll try to put a little more time into the game. What do you say we um, ring up Mr. Dillon now and let's, have a chat with him? Let's give him a buzz. Tom Dillon, thanks for joining us from uh, your office at World Archery Headquarters in Lausanne, Switzerland. Pleasure, George. Uh, and Steve as well. Looks like it's still daylight out there. Oh, yes, definitely. So, uh, have you been uh, shooting much lately? Nah, not too much time these, these days, but... Uh, I'll catch up uh, towards the Christmas break. Yeah, that'll be useful. Hey, Tom, we uh, always appreciate being able to talk to you, and it's been a while, so we want to catch up with you on a few things, including, you know, this past season. I, I would say that this was the busiest one I've seen in in the uh, 30 years that I've been involved with, you know, WA stuff. And I, I, I don't know if uh, you'd argue with that. Oh no! It's definitely been the, the busiest season uh, that that I've uh, witnessed. I would say um, it's great to add, uh, I would say, things to uh, to other events, but it also means that we have more and more overlapping events and more and more challenges to the calendar. So uh, it's, it is it is a challenge. I can imagine, especially for some of our top archers, to make the right choices uh, to go to the events uh, that matter most for them. So it, it is becoming a challenge for sure oh yeah that's a very good point you make about participation and and the ability to get to those events and to leverage those events to uh you know to perform and um steve you've been on the road a lot how do you what's the process that you follow when you're trying to look at the calendar and go okay what's the lowest hanging fruit <laughs> yeah i mean you're sometimes you get back to back to back events and when i was on the world cup team that happened quite frequently so i would be you know you're trying to schedule flights first and foremost. And then there's times you get to an event and you know, maybe I just don't have it this week. So maybe you spend some of that event working on prep for next week or, or whatever, but there's always, there's always challenges when they go back to back and overlap and you're gone for a month. And, um, you know, you can just be, you can be just tired, just physically tired from travel, physically tired from sleeping in a hotel bed. And by the end of it, it can be, a bit of a drag it's tough to avoid that truly i imagine the same thing is true of your staff and yourself tom i mean you guys have spent the last i don't know 200 days traveling something like that uh it's been a lot of days and i don't want to count uh, as such but it, it is definitely a challenge and uh we've seen towards the end of the season uh that uh everyone's a little bit more tense and uh stress was building up because uh, people were just simply getting tired and uh it's, it's amazing that some of our athletes uh, really perform so consistently the whole year long. Yeah, that's a very good point. But, you know, I was thinking about your staff and yourself and, and those people who don't get to pick and choose. They have to get to almost every event, don't they? Yeah, I, what we have done is we, we've, we've uh, I would say, expanded a little bit on the team and we, we try uh, not to use all the time the same people so that we have a little bit more of rest uh, for, for some of them. But uh, having said that, um, there are some that are just on the road the whole time, and it's, and it's it is a challenge. But um, uh, we're trying to find solutions for the future to spread it better. And uh, this year, unfortunately, the calendar was as it was, and uh, we had to to live with it. So let's talk about the season um, successes. 
Let's work backwards. Moscow, a big, a big hit. It went went very well, Mos- I thought. Yeah, Moscow was a, a really, really good World Cup final and an amazing shooting. Uh, we had some some matches that really went to the edge. Uh, and okay, uh, uh, you have to give it for both Brady and Sarah. I sat up at, uh, when I presented the trophy. and said, "You put the pressure on Brady for tomorrow, and Brady delivered the next day." Uh, so it's um, it's it's really amazing what those two have done. Uh, well, Mikey and and then uh, Ken as well. Okay, uh, all very much deserved winners, and, and I would say a, a, a result of the whole season. Um, we've seen uh, like compound men. Uh, we've seen a challenge between uh, Braden and and Mikey the whole season, and uh, well, Mikey also had the I would say the opportunity and and the the, the success at the European Games. Uh, Braden came close. Uh, we managed to see the first ever gold medal from El Salvador, from a man from El Salvador in, in Lima. Um, compound women. Uh, well, Sarah is still Sarah, and uh, uh, Alexis uh, was uh, amazing as well. Alexis Ruiz being the only uh, woman to have medaled at each World Cup stage event. Uh, Boats had the challenge uh, at, I would say, at the World Championships, um, they probably both would have done, wanted to do better there, but uh, in the end, uh, end of the season, uh, both had a very good season. Um, going to the, the Riga of women, I would say Kang from Korea was definitely the strongest uh, athlete of the year, uh, but at the World Championships, she was beaten by a new face from, from Chinese Taipei and then uh, the other one that was very consistent over the season was Tanya Ting uh, and then I would say two um, two I wouldn't say newcomers but two um, ladies that, that had a, a, also a, an impact on the season was uh, Gabby from uh, now the Netherlands eh, Mikey Schlosser's uh, uh, girlfriend and then Casey Kaufold who uh, uh, got together with Brady uh, the, the mixed team uh, gold in, in Lima and securing at the same time a place for the US uh, and uh, shooting a, a world junior record uh, uh, some days ago so uh, uh, and then finishing off I would say with the recap Manuel it's been uh, I would say uh, an amazing uh, story the whole year between uh, Brady uh the two Koreans, Lee Woo-suk and uh, Kim Wo-jin, and, and then uh, uh, our Dutch friend, uh, uh, that uh, Rick van, uh, Jeff van den Berg, uh, that uh, I would say were the four, I would say, really dominating archers the whole season long, and then uh, Brady shooting that incredible score of 702 points uh, in Lima, uh, and, and winning the World Championships and the fifth World Cup uh, final. It's really an amazing uh, accomplishment. Yeah, we we had an opportunity to talk to Brady about that uh, in the last podcast. And Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he said the world record was probably the most memorable of the things that he pulled off yeah. this season. Which says world a championship lot. was big for him too. Yeah, obviously. But the world record, you know, he felt he felt like uh, when Kim Woo Jin. Broke the 700 barrier, and that he, he felt like okay, it's it's meant to happen for for more people now. And yeah, in Brady's mind, it was, was like the four it. minute mile being broken by Roger Bannister back in the day, you know, and and that being 
sort of the gateway for people to be able to start breaking that kind of standard on a regular basis. So uh, I, I think, Tom, you might agree that, uh, that that might be one of the most significant milestones of the season. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I think it was, um, it was something that, okay, when, when Kim Jin did it in Rio, people said, okay, uh, maybe it's a one-off thing. But uh, we had heard that uh, Brady was regularly shooting above the 700 in practice. But, okay, practice is practice. And yeah. he did it at one of the key events of the year. Uh, and uh, it was the only world record broken at the Pan American Games. And in the, the report of the, the official report of the Pan American Games, it was uh, listed as the most significant uh, uh, event of the, the Pan American Games. So uh, I think it's definitely one of the things to remember of this season. Yeah, clearly we all agree on that one. Well, also, um, World Cup, you know, the, the whole circuit, which obviously culminated with what you very nicely described with what happened in Moscow. Uh, a lot of successes at each leg, it seems to me. We don't need to get into the details, but overall, you know, this thing is right down the line, it seems, of what World Archery had in mind back in the day when this whole thing got started. Now it's it's fully up and running. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, each uh, one of them has uh, developed its, its own identity, and I think, uh, well, each of the archers will have its, its favorite leg and, and so on. But uh, we see uh, definitely uh, an improvement from year to year uh, on the, I would say, on the circuit. And uh, I think the, the rule change we introduced uh, last year already, that each winner goes automatically to the final, uh, created a new dynamism to it. And uh, uh, some people were afraid that the ones that would win would not go again for uh, uh, another event, but uh, that hasn't uh, been the case. And, and then the other thing that I think is a, a new dynamic in the final where uh, there is a draw. The top two are uh, put at the opposite sides of the match play table, but there is a draw for all the other ones, and the draw is also building up excitement. And okay, uh, you have to be a little bit lucky with the draw, but uh, having said that, uh, you're uh, talking about the seven best archers of the season, uh, and then uh, the host country, of course, has a, a place as well. But if you take the case of uh, of Russia, uh, you couldn't say that any of the four archers in the individual uh, match play table was, uh, I would say, uh, uh, someone that couldn't win it. And uh, we saw with Avdeeva, uh, who was, of course, the world champion in Sertogan Bos, that she made it to the final and uh, uh, she was the only one that could really beat Sara Lopez that day. Yeah, and you don't, you don't take Russia lightly at all, ever. In any of the categories, it seems to me, they can, they can surprise you in any of the categories. Maybe with the exception of compound men, but in general, very, very strong teams. Absolutely. Tokyo test event. I had the pleasure of seeing you there, and I'd like to get your thoughts on how that went. Well, I think uh, I, it was a test event. It was a, a test event like a little bit different from other test events in the sense that uh, the Tokyo Organizing Committee really wanted to, to focus on testing operations rather than already seeing it as a as a super high-level tournament. Uh, having said that, the quality of the archers was there. We had uh, everyone uh, that, uh, uh, I would say, uh, wants to be in Tokyo next year uh, there, unless they had uh, another tournament that week, which was the uh, university as we were at the same uh, time. But having said that, um, it, it has shown the potential of the venue. Uh, 
uh, especially the ranking round venue, it has given us information on certain of the things that Tokyo has to improve for, for next year. Uh, but I think it has also shown that we will have a, a very, very good Olympics uh, next year in Tokyo. Uh, the challenge, and, and this was a little bit um, a contradiction in itself, is that uh, we wanted to test the weather. And you can say we tested weather, but not the weather we will have next year, most mm, likely. Not even close. And, 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 this, and this is where it's a little bit... Uh, 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 an issue that I, I, I remember the, the Canadians had brought a, a specialist in, in, in hot weather and, and it was it was nice uh, except for the rain it was quite nice as temperature and then we see the, the week after in the media things like pe- people dying from uh, heat exposure and, and uh, people getting to hospital and not one but many 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 people and seeing that other test events, we had rowing, uh, I think two weeks later, where uh, two athletes had to be taken to hospital and so on. So it, it is, from that point of view, it was uh, unfortunately uh, not a great test and, and uh, we will have different weather next year. Um, but for the rest, it was a, a good way to see the people in operation. I think uh, Yuko, uh, who is the sports manager, has a very good team. Uh, they have uh, all the, the, the elements to deliver a great Olympics and then we had great matches as well um, we had uh, I, I would you could say that uh, the Korean team was very motivated after what for them was uh, a not so good world championships every every other country in the world would have taken those results but uh, for them it wasn't a, a great world championship we'll probably come back to that later on we talk about uh, next year yeah. uh, and uh, and during the test event they wanted to put their stamp on Tokyo already and uh, they definitely did no question about that they uh, they they certainly had something to prove and I think that uh, you just summed it up extremely well Chris Marsh uh, is uh, headed over to the IOC and his last event was the Tokyo test event do you want to talk a little bit about that well yeah I saw Chris uh, this week at a meeting at the IOC and uh, not with him but, uh, but I went to see him and uh, he's doing great uh, well he's our contact person for for archery and for, for six other sports so uh, uh, we're very grateful for what Chris did over the last uh, few years and uh, he, he really uh, uh, managed to get uh, the event team uh, to a higher level and uh, with him we had very good events uh, now okay he uh, he said he worked for an organizing committee, worked for the International Federation. Uh, now he wanted to work for the IOC, and we, of course we we couldn't, I would say, uh, do a lot against that. And uh, I think he will do a great job. And we have a, uh, with him a great, I would say, uh, contact person in the IOC because he understands our sport. He knows what it's about. We don't have to explain him the re- difference between a recap and a compound. Uh, or what type of events we want and so on. So I think from that point of view, uh, we, we are, I would say, uh, unlucky to lose him, but very lucky to have that person working in the International Olympic Committee. And you've also got somebody coming in, not necessarily to directly take over from Chris, but somebody coming in to take care of things for Tokyo, and that's somebody else with a lot of archery experience, and that's Sebastian Flute. Yeah, so uh, we, and just, I would say we... We were trying to see how we could use uh, Sebastian in the best possible way because Sebastian, uh, well, of course, is is the Olympic champion of '92. Uh, 
multiple world champion, uh, medal winner, and I would say, uh, you can say, uh, among the legends in archery as such. He also has a lot of experience in, in event organization, not in archery, but he's been working for, for several years on the, uh, what used to be Paris-Dakar rally, but uh, the company organizing those rallies uh, actually is this week in Saudi Arabia, where they're preparing the next uh, rally. And uh, both the French Federation, uh, as well as us, uh, see Sebastian clearly as the person handling the archery event uh, in Paris uh, and um, so taking the role as a sports manager or event manager or whatever it will be called in the end and therefore what better way to train him for that by uh, having him take the role or that Chris had as, as IF representative in the Tokyo Games and I really I enjoy working with uh, with Sebastian and he's already uh, given several inputs on things uh, that uh, uh, the advantage is of course he's shot at the highest level so uh, he understands fully what it means to have uh, artificial lighting on the field of play and what level it should be and uh, and so on and so on. Yeah, very short training curve needed there I imagine. <laughs> yes, but still I, I think his biggest challenge is uh, learning all those three-letter acronyms that the Olympic family is full of. Oh, yes. You have a good point there. So, Tom, looking forward now, um, we have another season ahead, including the Tokyo Olympic Games. We start off in less than 50 days with the first leg of the Indoor World Series. Walk us through where things are headed. Okay. So, so first, the Indoor World Series. I think uh, having now the second season uh, coming up, we, we're very pleased to have added uh, Australia uh, and Oceania at the same time. So we will have four continents having tournaments. Uh, we had hoped that Africa would rejoin. Uh, we have uh, for sure for next winter season, uh, Cairo will join us. But unfortunately, there was a problem with date and we didn't want to have the same weekend as uh, the Kings of Archery uh, and then uh, put our... Uh, I would say top archers in front of a choice between the two. So we're working with Cairo on having then next year uh, all five continents uh, doing the Indoor World Series and, and we'll see how, how for the rest it will develop. Um, the other lakes are the same, Macau, uh, Strassen, uh, Nîmes, Rome, and then of course the final in Vegas. Um, we have had many discussions on what we should do with the team event. We've changed a little bit the rules, uh, but we think it's something that, that has a potential future and, and we're going to try to, to, to make it as flexible as possible, but still having some consistency behind it. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think the, the individual element works. Um, our goal, uh, I would say in the next two to three years, is to make the circuit uh, more important, having more prize money, hopefully a title sponsor. So it becomes really the, uh, I would say, one of the critical parts of the indoor season, and uh, we will see how that goes. You know, it's interesting that uh, you talk about title sponsors. What What is the environment right now with sponsorships, Tom, from that standpoint? I mean, traditionally, if you look at motorsports, they had sponsors from tobacco, 
If you look at some other sports, they have sponsors from alcohol. Neither of those is an option for world archery. Energy drinks is something that's big now and some stuff. That's about as far away from archery as you could get, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, what's the environment? Look, the environment is not easy. Uh, I think that um, we we need to see how we can find, I would say, a non-archery-related sponsor uh, uh, getting interested in it. And I think with the numbers the indoor world series can create because it, we see it really as the, 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 the part of our sport where we can have uh, the equivalent of uh, the mass sport events like uh, half marathons or uh, the triathlon with the age groups and so on. So it's, it's a way to get as many people as possible involved. And, and, they, and we have, when we have more people, we can have a bigger audience or interest group for the sponsors. And, and I think this, this is our, uh, I would say, strategy behind it. Um, we've seen that uh, many people at least shot one event last year. We want to increase that every year. And then uh, at a certain moment, we can say, okay, look, yes, in the final, we only have X number. But uh, the whole season, we had several thousands uh, of people participating and, and you can communicate in a certain way with them. Um, it is not confirmed yet, but we have a very, very good chance that uh, the Indoor World Series final in Vegas, uh, so on the Saturday night, will be taken by NBC uh, as part of our NBC agreement. So this shows again that we're making progress also in that area because the Indoor World Series is really about building a, a TV product for the indoor season. Um, I know there's a lot of initiatives being taken also in the US on, on making the sport more visible and, and we, we fully uh, endorse and, and, and congratulate what, what has been done over the last uh, year. Uh, and, and it's really about making our sport more visible on the television side. So that then coming, I would say, to the, the second part of the season, when we talk about Olympics, I, I remember when I started uh, 23 years ago when I was at the Atlanta Olympics and uh, talking with some TV people say, oh, archery is great. Why don't we see more of it during the period between the Olympics? That, I must say, is no longer the question. Uh, and uh, we, we really start having a good TV product. We had the best world championships ever in terms of TV coverage. Uh, we're still getting some of the reports, but it's, it's really, really good. And uh, we're now even talking with some uh, TV stations how we can prepare the best way the Olympics and giving them material before the Olympics. So it's not going to be a discovery of what, uh, oh, this is a, a winner from this country and oh, we have no idea who this athlete is. We will more and more have stars in each individual country going to the Olympics of which we can produce uh, images where we can have uh, good bios and so on and so on. All of which feeds and, right uh, back into sponsorship eventually. I mean, exactly, once you have stars. Exactly. exactly. And, and that's 100% we will do. And we also know, and uh, I don't think I have to convince either of you, is that those sponsors have to come from outside of the industry because the archery industry is already uh, sponsoring a lot of our athletes, uh, a lot of the events. And, and there is a maximum amount that can be invested in that. And, and uh, uh, of course, uh, I wouldn't say no if uh, uh, Eastern sends us a, a bigger check every year. I wouldn't mind. 
But we also understand that there is uh, a limit to the amount that can be given to us without sacrificing uh, the money that could go to the athletes uh, and, and other events. Switching uh, things to current events. Yes. There has been some developments in Korea in the last few days. Very interesting, and World Archery is covering that. Chris Wells has been covering that. Some shocking stuff coming out of the Olympic trials in Korea. Well, it, it is, and, and okay, and what is even more shocking is that it's the result of the World Championships because uh, normally uh, the original idea was that they would do as they have done in the last uh, Olympic cycles, that the ones that have been shooting in the national team uh, during the season were, uh, I would say, uh, protected. Given, the first, yeah, they had an advantage. Uh, they had a buy, basically. Exactly, and and this is this is changed uh, because they, uh, the, like I said before, the Koreans were not happy with the results of the World Championships, and uh, and therefore they said no, we're going to change. Everyone has to pass the first step. And what we see, the number one and the number three in the women have not passed. Uh, nor Chang, nor Kibo Bay have passed the cut. Uh, and this is, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, I would say uh, already, I, I was, where, where are we, uh, 11 months before the Games, with uh, the Olympic champion already out of the running. And for what concerns the men's side, uh, Okay, uh, Kubo Chen is still in the running, but he's 17th at the moment. So he needs, uh, he will not be part because the top eight of uh, the trials will be part of what they call the winter camp. So they get special training uh, during the winter before the next trials. So for Kubo Chen, uh, catching up will be hard. So we could be in a situation that by March next year, we already guaranteed there will be two new Olympic champions. Well, presuming, of course, that, uh, you know, I, I guess we do have second place Ojin Hyuk and 2012 Olympic champion. Obviously, he's uh, still in the running. And, um, Absolutely. And some of the other, uh, I would say, uh, medalists in the past uh, are definitely still in the running. And uh, I would say you can't, uh, out, uh, you can't forget uh, Kibo Jin, for instance. Oh, yeah. Uh, as uh, definitely... Uh, a potential uh, gold medalist uh, in the future in individual is one uh, team, but uh, I guess the only regrettable yeah. thing here is that you know we did talk about creating stars in our sport and and Chang, yeah. you know Chang I think and Kibo Bay, Chang and Kibo Bay are two stars in Korea and, and that's that's the sad part uh, for sure. Um, now there is another girl, uh, a very young uh, archer Anne, who we saw uh, not many times, but we saw her this year, and uh, both the Korean Archery Association as well as many coaches in Korea see her really as the big starter for the future, and she is definitely still in the run for a place, and uh, we'll see how that one goes. She was qualified for the World Cup final, but. They want to really protect her from the moment and not having her to do too many events, but she's definitely the one to follow uh, for the future. Miss Kang, meanwhile, has been uh, delivering pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. She was she was like all season uh, when we saw her uh, at the top, and okay, she wasn't world champion, but uh, uh, she won the World Cup final, and uh, she's she's definitely if she keeps that form, she will be the one to beat next year. Talking about the Olympics uh, and, and the quota places, there we also had quite some 
surprises, I would say. Um, uh, if you look at the the, uh, the situation in terms of uh, who won places and who didn't win places, uh, it is a little bit, uh, I would say, scary that uh, the future Olympic hosts, uh, meaning Paris and Los Angeles, the two countries concerned, have not done well. Uh, France has zero places at the moment, and uh, US has one man and one woman, uh, so not brilliant either. And, and it's uh, this is something uh, that is that could be better. Now the chances are still there uh, because there is still team places to get next year. Berlin, European, right? In Berlin, yes, the European qualifier is still up, but uh, we see countries like uh, France, also Turkey, which is also a big budget and a, and a big uh, uh, medal potential, uh, especially for the mixed team, with zero places for the moment. And uh, the, the, the remaining places will be hard to get, but it's also showing that we have more and more countries uh, being performant. Uh, Bangladesh winning a bronze medal at the World Championships and, and Ruman is confirming that he won the, the Grand Prix in Asia uh, I think two weeks ago uh, so it was not a, a one-off shot uh, he is definitely one of the new uh, outsiders for a medal and uh, we see more and more new countries coming up uh, uh, also at the U12 Championships in Madrid out of the 58 countries if I'm not mistaken 21 won a medal and uh, that was really, uh, I would say, very much encouraging for the future that we see so many new countries winning medals at the Youth World Championships. Unquestionably. And, and speaking you know, of Bangladesh, I've been talking about them since April when I saw them perform at the Asia Cup in Bangkok and Martin Frederick coaching them. And, I, you know, that's, it's great to see that kind of growth and development in Asia. And speaking of growth and development, I know that uh, you and I have had some conversations on the subject recently. I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on where you want to see growth and development in the next few years in terms of our sport. Uh, I think, uh, I would say, of course, we, we want to see new countries doing well and so on. But uh, I think that uh, our focus for sure is on, on making our current members better. Um, we are not in. Uh, we have 162 member countries. Uh, yes, we could be 170 or 180, but I prefer to have 140 that are s- strong and active than having 200 of which 50 are, are just uh, mailboxes. So that, that's I would say the over uh, the, the the red line in general is that we want to make sure that our current members get stronger, stronger in terms of I would say their technical knowledge, stronger in terms of how they're governed, um, so that uh, the focus is on the athlete development and not uh, having uh, to worry about uh, other things uh, as such. And uh, then, of course, there is there is one thing that, that we, we feel strongly about is to make sure that we we have more and more a competitive element to, to all our aspects of the sport. And then I think especially uh, there about uh, compound and about compound women, uh, because um, uh, one of our uh, parts of our strategy for the future is that we would like to add uh, in the future uh, three medals to the Olympic Games. Uh, that's that's very clear what we want to do now. Uh, if we get, we're not going to start a discussion on on the what and hows and so on, because we could be gone for uh, the next hour. Uh, but for that to happen. 
I, I think that'd be a great future podcast, maybe. Yes, yeah, we can do that, no problem. Um, but for that to happen, we need to develop more the compound women aspect of our, our game because, uh, okay, it's, it's great to have uh, uh, people like Sarah or, uh, or Linda, uh, uh, Toya, uh, to name a few, but we need more depth. If you look at the, the compound uh, men's side, uh, and you look at the World Championship where we had uh, the Norwegian archer uh, that I think no one uh, heard of before that day, getting to the silver medal. And it was, you can say, uh, some people say, oh, he was lucky and so on, but that same compound archer from Norway showed at the World Youth Championship, the third televised 150. And so he's shown there that it was not a luck, but he shows the depth of compounds and how competitive it is. And I think it's something the U.S. has been known to uh, for years because, okay, at the Vegas tournament and some other tournaments, you see the depth there was for years already in, in U.S. compound. Uh, but it's something that's becoming worldwide. And this is something we need uh, as such uh, to make sure that we have a good product to convince the people that will decide, because it's not World Archery that will make that decision, but it will be people uh, in the International Olympic Committee and uh, in the organizing committee of the Olympic Games, those will make the decision of what will be on the program. And uh, for that, we need to have a competitive women's compound event. To make it more universal. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and I think the potential is there, but it, 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 I think it's, it's like with many things, it's a teamwork. And a teamwork, the team comprises World Archery, comprises our member associations, comprises the coaches, comprises the, the clubs, uh, and also the manufacturers. And I think uh, this is something where, where I think still a lot can, can be done. Uh, also the organizers in trying to get more prize money for, for the women so that uh, for, uh, tomorrow if you have a, a young Sara Lopez or a young uh, Toya Ellison, who wants to start compound that, yes, she can find a bow that is adapted to her draw length. Yes, she can find a coach that can coach her correctly. And uh, yes, she's motivated to go to tournaments and to train all days uh, because of the prize money that is there for, for, for the women. And I think if, if that team really works as a team, then yes, we can make it Olympic. Uh, We've seen the success of compounds at the European Games, at the Pan American Games, at the Asian Games. It's clear for us that we want to show that compound has its place. We'll work very hard on the, the World Games in Birmingham to make that a success. Uh, to, to put all, I would say, the, the, the lights green in the same way we had all lights green to add the mixed team in Tokyo so that no one puts it into question. It's the logical thing to add it. But for that, we need to, to do a lot of work. Well, Tom Dillon, Secretary General of World Archery, I want to thank you for the generosity you've shown us with your time today. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And I, I'd like to point out, I think you, your team is doing a really good job of pre-event coverage, post-event coverage, especially breaking down videos into more condensed versions. There's really a lot of stuff to see, and I don't know who's doing that. It's, if it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a team, it's, it's many, Chris Wells, but it's a whole team together yeah. with him. And I, and I think it's, it's something that we're really working on very hard because uh, we've seen to get more interest in the sport. You can't just rely on a single event every month. Uh, you need to be uh, showing things 
all the time. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, okay, certain videos will work better than others. We had, I, I give you one example, uh, the, the short uh, version of the match of uh, the Colombian girl that won the, the youths, uh, the junior women recurve uh, uh, in Madrid at 1.2 million views on Facebook. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so there is things like that that you can't predict and that just happened. Uh, we also, uh, Ruman uh, winning the Philippine uh, World, uh, the Philippine Asian Grand Prix, half a million viewers. These are things like that I would say are possible because we, we put the time and the effort into it and, and we really uh, mm -hmm. are able to, to show more and more short clips because that's what, especially the younger audience, and, and I must say, I, I did some checking on the, on the demographics of the people watching our, our videos, and we're getting a younger and younger public all the time, which is a very good sign. Yeah, well, tell Chris, well done. He, he isn't very good at FIFA on the PlayStation, but he's doing a, <laughs> he's doing a good job uh, with, with this stuff, him and his, his team, so... Uh, Okay, I'll tell him. <laughs> Always good to talk to Tom. He's uh, so full of insight and, and such a driver. His recall is pretty impressive, actually. You know, a lot of times you get a guy who's at essentially the head of an organization, and, and uh, it, you know, obviously Tom is not president of World Archery, but Tom is uh, the one driving most initiatives and most everything behind him. Well, yeah, it. effectively, yeah. he's he's the linchpin he's, he's of running the, show. the organization. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's that's his role uh, as Secretary General. Uh, obviously, President Erdner has a lot of other stuff going yeah. on with the IOC membership and, and, and that sort of thing. I know he's extremely involved, but he's kind of like, um, you know, Greg Easton to Mark Pizzoni in that right. regard. Yeah. You know? I'm involved. I'm keeping tabs on this, but and I hired you to run this, right? To run this program. So, uh, you know, usually a guy like like Tom at, at the top of the organization doesn't always know <laughs> the specifics of you know they're keeping tabs on what's happening with our broadcast, where's our event locations, yeah. And then they, when it comes down to event specifics, what happened at the actual event, they're not always up to speed on that. Right. It's but, not necessarily their job, but Tom had a pretty impressive understanding of who was who. Well, remember, first and foremost, he is an archer. So yes. That makes a big difference, I think. Mm -hmm. He's not just some administrator, you know. He's, right. he's coming to it from an archery passion, just like, you know, like we do. Yeah. And I think that, uh, honestly, I think that makes the difference because he's got the yeah. archers in mind all the time and uh, and, and what's best for him. And I, yeah. I respect that. That's really you see, important. You see at times when someone in a position like his is more of just an administrative type. And sometimes they forget what the real purpose of the event is, you know, and ultimately it's not about the broadcast and where it's located and blah, blah. It's about the tournament and who's winning it. Yeah. We kind of had that <laughs> issue back in the nineties, uh, in the NAA, you know, it, it, it has persisted up into my time shooting USA archery stuff and it's getting better now because Rod Menzer is an archer and, Right. You know, I think that's important. Yeah. There, there's times I'm like, you, you forget what your asset is, right? Your asset is not anything for a, an organization like USA Archery. Your asset is 100% your membership base. They have virtually nothing else without that. I agree. And, um, you know, 
one of the things that World Archery is doing is growing that membership base, as we heard from Tom. They're working to grow that, uh, particularly the segment of women participating yeah. in compound archery, which I think has probably the, you know, the low hanging fruit of the, uh, of the archery growth yeah. world. Really. It's interesting. He, and telling that he narrowed his focus specifically to that. That's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that has tremendous opportunity, especially in places like Asia. So we're looking at, uh, we're looking forward to seeing some of those initiatives get started and, uh, and the uh, benefits of that to all of us in the sport. So, yeah, and hearing him say he'd rather have, you know, 140 strong nations than, than, you know, 200 where a bunch of them are not participating really. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes sense too, because, now, if you go to any of the World Cup events, you'll see the same uh, probably 12 or so nations that are always sending a full team, right? So there's 16 competitors. And then you'll see ones and twos from a bunch of other nations, sometimes, you know, a recurve only team or whatever. But yeah, if we could imagine if we had, if we had 50 nations that were sending 16 squad, 16 yeah. team, 16 person. Teams. But it has to be built as a pyramid. You got to have the training, you got to have the coaching, mm-hmm. you got to have the equipment, you got to have the know-how. All that stuff has got to trickle down and 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 build yeah. up in order to make that work. And I think that that's part of the effort. You know, that's what they're doing. Yeah, and he he mentioned you know having the technical knowledge and all that. That's important. And we've seen how that has spread over to Europe and the European countries in compound. You know, I'm thinking men's compound especially have become a lot stronger. Um, and that, that whole thing, like you've done seminars on behalf of world archery. I've done seminars on behalf of world archery and it's always in a spot of the globe where they're trying to strengthen right. the sport. And when you, when you get in a lot of these countries, they're not about to fund a team first. The, the athletes often can't fund themselves. It's too expensive to do it. The country isn't going to fund a team or even an individual athlete unless they're competitive. Correct. So if you can make, you know, I look at like Roberto Hernandez from El Salvador. He's getting funded and supported pretty well now because he's had success. He won the uh, Pan Am Games and or yeah, Pan Am Games, not championships uh, in men's compound, and that stuff matters. So if you can get the rest of the globe competitive, strengthens the sport worldwide and increases participation. Increases you know when when someone sees that national hero type person who competes in archery, then more people compete in archery at the at the beginner level it's all just comes full circle as our friend rob coffold is fond of saying higher tide raises all boats that's true so i i you know there's people who want to grow it from the grassroots and there's people who want to grow it top down and i'm kind of more of a top down guy yeah well that's not at odds with growing it from the bottom up it actually is complementary yeah, I suppose. Because if, you got to give people right. something to strive for. Yeah. You got to give people something to reach for. Right. And I think that, you know, Olympic dreams, right? I mean, that's that's the basis of a lot of people getting started in mm-hmm. a sport. Well, you know, talk about, you know, top down if you look at it from that perspective. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we've got uh, pretty much a full hour here in the podcast. You got any thoughts for what you're doing next? I'm um, going to go hunting alone again. Because uh, <laughs> you didn't learn your lesson. <laughs> no, I uh, I learned. I learned. I'll, uh, you know, I didn't die. It wasn't even. You really. had a spot tracker with you, right? Yeah, you I could have. Emergency I, yeah, trackers. I, I had a, a Garmin inReach. I could have hit the button, brought in the chopper, 
and been fine. <laughs> it's an expensive so, ride. <laughs> actually, for $17, you get two instances of $50,000 rescue insurance. Two? Yeah. So they bill it as a hundred, you know, they say, oh, you get $100,000 rescue insurance, asterisk, two $50,000 instances. But your odds of needing the second one are probably reduced considerably if you've used the yeah, first. Yeah. I imagine by the time you use the first, you're like, yeah, I'm not I'm not doing that again. Yeah. So no, I didn't even come close to having to hit the button. I was just, you know, really cold and took a long time to get out. But uh, have you thought about going to the grocery store? What for? Instead of, you know, hunting. Oh, yeah. Every time I, every, I don't hunt very often, right? But every time I do, I'm like, this is dumb. Spending all this money on this, spending all this time on this. What inevitably happens to everybody, especially, I was hunting elk, right? Elk is a super cool animal to hunt when you're into them. But when you're just sitting on or walking around, you know, you're 10 miles a day or whatever. And you're up in the mountains, right? It's steep country. It's not It's not fun. So there's times I'm up there. I'm like, this sucks. Why do people like this? And then you really get to talking to people. They're like, I, they don't like it. It's the accomplishment that's the reward. But the enduring everything, usually not that fun. By day three, I'm almost always thinking about what else I could be doing. And fishing, even when fishing is bad, I usually just enjoy being on the water. I read a cool thing from a Wall Street guy. He said, take up fly fishing. It's a lot cheaper than... Uh, well, there's no psychiatrist. <laughs> so, <laughs> fly fishing is cheaper than psychiatry. Yeah. So, recurve shooting, therefore, is cheaper than psychiatry because recurve shooting is the fly fishing of archery. You know, as expensive as our sport may seem, it's not. It's not, man. Would you? If I have kids, I'm gonna. I'm. You know, archery is fine. They can get into archery. But the last thing I want them being into is like motocross or something. Oh, I spend more on motorcycle tires in one season than I think I've spent in archery in a decade. Well, yeah. I mean, people listening go, well, you work for the company. Get yourself for free. But even, you know, my dad shoots sporting clays. And to him, you know, people go, oh, Easton X10s was really expensive. Yeah, they are. I'm not going to say they're not. Try a good shotgun. Yeah, $10,000 plus over Starter. under. Starter. But the ammo, you know? Oh, yeah. He'll go, a case of ammo, 250 shells is, let's call it, you know, for, it. you maybe get it for 80, 80 bucks or so for, for good ones that you'd want to compete with. And. Yeah, but you go through that in two hours. Well, yeah, at a Sporting Clays event, that's, that's the first, you know, like a, a big event. They're usually about three or four days long, plan on 500 rounds. So you're 160 bucks just in ammo yeah. competing. Yeah, in know? fact, I've got a pistol competition in Arizona next weekend. I'm going to go through 400 bucks just in ammunition. Yeah, and you don't get to come back and refletch the nope. ones that, you know, or whatever. That's I, my, I, I can't even collect my cases because you have to go from one stage to another. Yeah, there's no time go. to collect your cases. You got to go and yeah. move on. So, so there's it's going to be 400 pieces of brass you know <laughs> yeah every time every time you go pull your arrows be thankful that they're not one-time use it's a beautiful thing yeah all right well i think that that uh that'll call it for this one yeah hopefully there's another one